Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. If you're one of the many Christians who believes that Satan isn't real, you've given him a major victory in the realm of spiritual warfare. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at the enemy of every believer, revealing his tactics and motivations so you can be more alert to how he operates. Listen now as David introduces the conclusion of his message, Identifying the Enemy. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We're finishing up this week together as we conclude our discussion of identifying the enemy. This is the series Spiritual Warfare. Uh, We've decided we're in a war, and now we're finding out a little bit about our enemy. Um, Monday, we will begin going through the armor of the believer. We'll start with the girdle of truth, and we'll talk about every single piece of this armor, how it applies to us, what it means to us, how it helps us as we fight this battle. Please join us throughout the month of June as we teach on spiritual warfare. And don't forget, you can get a copy of the answer book for spiritual warfare, answers to questions about spiritual warfare. It's 185 pages featuring 86 questions with answers. Warfare Scripture Guide. It's got a prayer scripture guide and a warrior's prayer. And it's yours for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. We produce this ourselves. I'm very proud of this little book. We have a series of these now. And this is the Spiritual Warfare Question and Answer Book. Friends, this is yours for a gift of any size during the month of June. Well, it's time for us to finish up this week together. And here we go with part two of Identifying the Enemy. Consider this from author Randy Alcorn, who wrote about Satan. He said, what is the opposite of light? It's darkness. What is the opposite of good? It's evil. All right, here's the next one. What is the opposite of God? And some people say, Satan? No, that's not correct. Michael, the righteous archangel, is Satan's opposite. Satan is finite. God is infinite. God has no equal. And how did Satan get here in the first place? He was a creature of God. Satan isn't the opposite of God. Let me tell you what. Let's just put it clearly. In this day of sports, he's not in the same league with God. He's not in the same conference with God. He's not in the same universe with God. He is God's creation. So don't think, okay, 
I've got God over here and he's all powerful for good and I got Satan over here and he's all powerful for evil. That's not really true. Satan is no match for God. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is God who lives in you than Satan who lives in the world. So while it is true, we need to be respectful and we need to learn and we need not to be frivolous about the power of Satan. We need to be careful that we don't go to the other extreme and say, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Satan's after me, you know? Satan's power is power under control. The Bible tells us in the end of the age, God is going to loose him for a short time. What does that say? God's got Satan on a leash. Well, one of these days, toward the end of the ages, he's going to take that leash off and let him loose. And then ultimately, at the end, he's going to be cast into the bottomless pit. He's going to be cast into hell with his angels forever and ever. But he is not all-powerful. Now, let me tell you about his purposes. What does Satan want to do? This is very interesting because it explains a lot of things that happen in religious circles. I went through the scriptures and I wrote down the verbs that are associated with Satan. In other words, the action words that are associated with him in the Bible. Here they are. He beguiles. He seduces. He opposes. He resists. He deceives. He sows terrors. He hinders. He buffets. He tempts. He persecutes and he blasphemes. And here are some of his most effective strategies. First of all, Satan is the great deceiver. Say that with me. Satan is the great deceiver. He is the great deceiver. John 8, 44, we read these words. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar, and he's the father of it. Satan is the father of lies. He's the great deceiver. Revelation 12, 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Have you ever stopped to realize the power of satanic deception? Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're trying to help them understand what God has done for them, how he loves them, how he's given their son, and there just seems like a blindness that's in front of you. They don't understand, they don't get it, maybe they don't want to, but they have been deceived by the enemy. That's what Satan does primarily. He's the deceiver. He started his work in the garden, remember, when he deceived Eve so that Eve then deceived her husband. And sin was born in the garden, as we read in the first chapters of Genesis. Now, here's the thing about Satan's deception that most people don't realize. Satan, as a deceiver, is the great counterfeiter. He's the great mimic You know what Satan does? He does everything that God does. He tries to do everything God does. He wants to be like God. Remember, he said, I will be like the most high God. So when you watch Satan in his work today in the world, you shouldn't be surprised at this. Everything that Christ has done, everything the Lord has done, Satan tries to do it. Let me just share with you some of these things. Jesus is the light of the world. Satan is transformed into an angel of light, according to 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Jesus is the king of kings. Satan is king over the children of pride, Job 41, 34. Jesus is the prince of peace. Satan is the prince of the world, 
and the prince of the power of the air. Jesus Christ is the Lord my God. Satan is the God of this age. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Satan is a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. In the beginning, Satan spoke through a serpent and deceived Eve. And today, he speaks through false teachers and deceives many people. Satan deceives primarily by mixing error with truth. He never comes out with blatant error. That would be too easily discerned. That is what he did in the garden. He approached Eve with some truth mixed with some error together, and she bought it. Today, every cult is error stirred together with enough truth to deceive people. That's all it is. Satan deceives not only by mixing error with truth, Satan deceives by misquoting the Bible. He used that ploy on Eve in the garden, and he tried to use it on our Lord in the desert. Today, Satan uses the subtle method of Scripture taken out of context to deceive many. You know, somebody said, well, you can prove anything from the Bible. Absolutely true. If you take every verse you need out of context, you know, you can open your Bible to any verse and take that verse out of the context in which it was written and make one little line say what you want it to say. No matter what it is you want to say, you can find a word in the Bible that you might use to support it. But if you're a man of integrity, a woman of integrity, you know that the Bible isn't just a couple of phrases. The Bible is a context. And the Bible is to be interpreted in context. And when you take the Bible out of its context, if you take verses out of their context and use them to prove something they were not intended to prove, you're falling right into the lap of Satan, because that's one of his major strategies. Do you remember in the garden he said, God hath not surely said. God hath not said you will surely die. Satan took the truth and he misquoted it from the words of God, and he used the misquoting of Scripture to deceive the original couple. May I just say to you, one of the things we try to do is to teach the Word of God and, and one of the reasons why I like to go through books is because when you go through books, you see the Word of God in its context. They have some pet themes. Everybody has pet themes. There's some things I'd love to preach on. And, you know, one of the things that happens when you're an expository preacher, you get off that track. You don't get to preach your pet themes. Somebody says, what are you preaching? I say, I preach what's next. Whatever's next, I preach it. <laughs> and when you do that, you take the Word of God and you keep it in the context in which it was written and you get the true meaning from it. Now, the second thing that Satan does, he's not only the great deceiver, but notice this, he's the great divider. Now, listen up to this. I have heard some of the stories you've told me of places where you've been in churches where there's been a great division, where there's been a great split, where things have happened that have destroyed the peace and unity of the body of Christ. Let me tell you who does that. Who's behind all of that? Satan himself. You know how I know that? Because that's one of his major strategies. You know the first thing that Satan did after he fell? He divided the angels. <laughs> That's what he did. He took some of the angels and he brought them away from their place in worshiping God. You know, he not only divided the angels, but he divided the first church. Did you know that? The very first church in the book of Acts, Satan brought division to that church. He divided the first church. According to Acts chapter 5, 3, we read these words. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? You remember the story 
of Ananias and Sapphira, how they saw Barnabas had given a a big gift to the Lord. He had sold some property or whatever, and he gave it all to the Lord, and they were all impressed because Barnabas was getting, I mean, a lot of good things were being said about him. And so they said, well, let's do that ourselves. So the Bible says they went out and they sold some land too, and they came to the apostles and said, we have sold this land and we're giving it all to you. But the Bible says they kept back part of it for themselves, and they lied. And Satan used that to take away for a few moments at least, the unity of the church. Now, in the early church, because God wanted to make a point, he dealt with that quite quickly and quite harshly. I remember how it says that the men who took away your husband are coming to get you and bury you. They were both executed by God for their sin of division to make a point in the early church about the danger of lies among God's people. Today, let me just tell you, Satan is up to the same strategy. Satan wants to divide. He injects the poisons of suspicion and intolerance and hatred and jealousy and criticism. And when that poison is injected into the system, it seeks an outlet, and eventually it discovers the human tongue. And James speaks of this in his letter. Have you read this? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The tongue. That's how Satan divides today, isn't it? He divides friends and fellowships, small groups, churches, and church staff through the poison of division that circulates in the system and then finds an outlet in the tongue. He's the great deceiver, he's the great divider, and he's the great destroyer. The apostle John calls Satan Apollyon, which in the Greek means destroyer, and that name fits the devil as he seeks to ultimately destroy the work of God. How does he destroy us? First of all, he tries to destroy us through adversity. Do you know that Satan can hinder you? He can cause you stress. I remember in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, we read these words from Paul. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Did you know Satan hinders? You know, sometimes you're trying to serve the Lord with all your heart, you're doing everything you can, and you run up against this wall, and you wonder, what in the world is this? Well, I don't know what it is for sure, but it might be Satan who's hindering you. He attempts to destroy us through adversity. Sometimes he destroys us by getting in the way of what God is trying to do in our lives. Number two, sometimes he attempts to destroy us by direct attack. In Ephesians 6.16, we read these words. Above all, take the shield of faith and with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Did you know that out there in the hinterland, Satan and his demons are there and they're shooting darts at God's people? And if we don't have the shield of faith, which we'll study a little bit later, we are no match for his artillery. One of Satan's great strategies, maybe his most powerful dart, his most effective dart, is discouragement. Here's a little story that I read. One day the devil decided to sell his tools and go out of business. Wouldn't that be great? And on the night of the sale, the devil took his tools and they were all attractively displayed 
Malice and hate and envy and jealousy and greed and sensuality and deceit were among them on the table. To the side lay a harmless wedge-shaped tool which had been used so much more than any of the rest. Someone asked the devil, what's that? It is priced so much higher than all of the other tools. And the devil answered, that's discouragement. But why is it priced so much higher than all of the other tools? The onlooker persisted. Because, replied the devil, with that tool, I can pry open and get inside a person's consciousness when I couldn't get near him with any of the other tools. Once discouragement gets inside, I can let all the other tools do their work. Anybody, can I get a witness? And isn't that one of the tools he seems to be prevailingly using today? We have a lot of things in our culture that can be very discouraging. And if we allow Satan to get us discouraged, it's just like a wedge. It opens the door, and in through that door that has been opened by discouragement can come all of the other things that he wants to do to us. We dare not let him do that. We dare not let him use that tool on us. And before we're finished with this series, I think I can help us learn how to fend off that attempt on the enemy to come after us. I hear these preachers talking on television all the time about Satan. And I hear them saying things that really frustrate me and worry me because they seem to minimize the activity of Satan. They seem to think they're able to stand up against him, but we are not. Sometimes Satan comes after us with discouragement, and sometimes he sends the dart of mistrust. Doubt your own faith. He has a whole quiver full of those things. They come when you least expect it. He sends them in your way. He loves to destroy. He is the destroyer. That is Satan. He's a murderer. He wants to destroy you. He wants to ruin your testimony and destroy your life, and he will do it. That is our enemy. The Bible says he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's not after the people of the world. He's already got them. He doesn't need them. He's after Christians. That verse is about Christians. He is seeking to devour you. And here's what I understand about that, because I've watched it and I ask God never to let it happen. When Satan gets a hold of somebody who has influence, he devours their influence. He devours their message. He devours their opportunity to make a difference. Satan is the great devourer. And let me just tell you, he wants to devour us. He wants to take away the effectiveness that we have. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, I don't know what you do when you hear all of this. I would hope that you are just overwhelmed with this enemy to the point where you're going to listen to the messages that are coming up in the next weeks. You're absolutely, totally helpless and hopeless to fight against the enemy if you don't use the strategies that are laid out for us in the Word of God. You're no match for the enemy. I mentioned to you that sometimes preachers on television talk about how they're going to put Satan under authority. They're going to tell Satan this and tell Satan that. And I'll tell you what, you better be mighty sure you're filled with the Spirit of God when you start talking like that. I don't care who you are or what you believe. The only power you have against the enemy is the power you have in Jesus Christ. Look down at your Bibles again and notice what it says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God. Can't fight Satan in the flesh. Perhaps that's one of the reasons for so much defeat and discouragement among Christian people. Your only hope is to put on the armor of Christ himself.
in the weeks to come, we will explore all the pieces of armor that we are to take upon ourselves. Notice again, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's what we're going to do. We're going to learn how to put on the whole armor of God. We're going to examine what each piece of armor means to us and how it works in our spiritual strategy. We're going to learn how we can be victorious in the power of Christ over the enemy who seeks to destroy us and divide us. A friend of mine, knowing that I was going to be speaking about Satan, gave me a devotional that she and her husband had been reading in a magazine that has devotions for every day. Listen to this. Addressing a worldwide convention of demons, Satan spoke to them and said, As long as Christians stay close to God, we have no power over them. So, here are 12 things you can do to gain victory over Christians. Now, he's speaking to his demons. We don't know that this actually happened, but it's probably very similar to what happens. Here's what he said. Here are the 12 things he said to do if you want to get victory over Christians and pull them into the strategies that are satanic in nature. Number one, keep them busy with non-essentials. Number two, tempt them to overspend and go into debt. Number three, make them work long hours to maintain empty lifestyles. Number four, discourage them from spending family time, for when homes disintegrate, there's no refuge from work. Number five, overstimulate their minds with television and computers so they can't hear God speaking to them. Number six, fill their coffee tables and nightstands with newspapers and magazines so they've no time to read the Bible. Flood their mailboxes, number seven, with sweepstakes promotions and get-rich-quick schemes. Keep them chasing material things. Number eight, put glamorous models on TV and on magazine covers to keep them focused on outward appearances. That way they'll be dissatisfied with themselves and dissatisfied with their mates. Number nine, make sure couples are too exhausted for physical intimacy. That way they'll be tempted to look elsewhere. Number 10, emphasize Santa and the Easter Bunny. That way you'll divert them from the real meaning of the holidays. Number 11, involve them in good causes so they won't have time for eternal ones. Number 12, make them self-sufficient. Keep them busy working in their own strength that they'll never know the joy of God's power working through them. Do these 12 things faithfully. I promise, said Satan to his demons, it'll work. Have you figured out the difference between being busy and being successful in what God called you to do? Sometimes being busy, B-U-S-Y, just means being under Satan's yoke. B-U-S-Y, busy. Should I give the invitation? (laughs) Don't we all deal with that? The lives that we live are so challenging sometimes. But the bottom line is, folks, Satan doesn't normally win those big battles. The thing that he wins are the small concessions that we make, little by little. And if we look at our lives, if we're not careful, we're so into the wrong world. We're allowing the enemy to come in and divert our energy, and little by little, just take every drop of energy we have to do things. And then we stop and look, and we say, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Is this really important? In the process of doing it, 
we're not doing the things that God would use to keep us strong in our faith. You know, if we took seriously those 12 things that the enemy said to his demons, we would do ourselves a lot of good. We would do ourselves a lot of good, and we would go a long way toward making it difficult for the enemy to get a foothold in our lives. Amen. Amen. Well, we have a lot more on spiritual warfare as we go on through the month of June. And uh, after this weekend, we'll begin the actual teaching of the various uh, implements of spiritual warfare in this section of Scripture. You know, on Friday, I usually try to uh, encourage you to go to church and to watch our television program. And those aren't in conflict with one another, especially when you can DVR anything that's on TV right now. If we happen to be on when you should be in church, by all means, go to church. Catch us later when you can. But I want to tell you something that's very exciting. Over the last uh, several months, we have added some releases to our television network. One of them is the Newsmax station. We're on at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Newsmax. And we're also on the Fox Business uh, station at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, Eastern Time. Those are two secular stations, and they are just doing so well. We're reaching so many people on those two stations. And if you happen to watch us then, thank you for being a part of it. And tell people where they can find us on television during the weekend. I keep reminding you that every month we have a resource. This month it's the Spiritual Warfare Answer Book, this 200-page book will help you understand a lot of things about spiritual warfare. In fact, there's 185 pages of content, over 200 pages in the book itself, and there's 86 questions with answers in this book. It's a little book full of great truth. Inside the book is a scripture guide, a prayer scripture guide, and the warrior's prayer. And you can get this book during the month of June for a gift of any size to Turning Point. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. Remember, this is one of our special giving months. It's the last month of our fiscal year. We need your help to finish strong. We know we can count on you. We thank you. Have a great weekend. Go to church. We'll see you Monday. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. Will you tell us one way that you're being blessed by Turning Point? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. It's a great way to stay on guard and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series Spiritual Warfare here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. 
Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. The late Arthur Watson was an executive with IBM and later U.S. ambassador to France. He had a humorous take on being too cautious in life. He said, show me a man with both feet on the ground and I'll show you a man who can't put his pants on. (laughs) Well, Mr. Watson was saying that sometimes it's necessary to stand on one foot instead of two and to take a bit of risk in life. If the apostle Peter had remained standing on both feet, he never would have climbed out of his boat and walked on the water to reach Jesus. Well, this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's times to step out in faith on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.